0: Hey guys, welcome to Moderate Party, a political podcast for moderate centrists and independents. I'm your host Hillary Lombard, and today we're going to be talking about the riots that unfolded at the U.S. Capitol last week and what happens next. It's going to be a heavier episode today, guys, but it's really important. Let's get started. I've been struggling a lot with what to say about what happened last week. It doesn't feel enough to be outraged. Obviously, we're all outraged. It's It needed to be more than that. I've had so many questions, as I'm sure you have as well, and I've really struggled to find answers for them. Some questions are more direct. Where were the police? Where was Trump? Is everyone okay? Others, the more painful questions are more abstract. Why did this happen? Whose fault is this? How could they do this? What does it say about America? And what's going to happen to us? I found myself downplaying comparisons to pre-Civil War America or pre-World War II Germany. I've dismissed the comparisons as dramatic or hyperbolic. But after the events of this week, I find myself wondering, did it feel like this? Do you think that we feel history as it's being made or is it something that we only become aware of in hindsight? If you look at the conditions that come before war or regime change, they follow a similar pattern. Economic decline, loss of civic trust, racial unrest, militarization, and violence. We had all of those ingredients and now we have an attack on the U.S. Capitol by a mob of insurrectionists. As a sidebar, One of the things I can't wrap my head around is their confidence. Can you imagine being so confident that nothing bad would happen to you that you actually live stream yourself breaking the law? They took selfies. They gave their names to reporters. They did interviews. One guy showed up wearing a Camp Auschwitz t-shirt. I think it says a lot about the crowd that that man felt confident he could wear that shirt and not get his ass kicked. I don't ever wanna be in a room where that's the possibility. Even beyond that, imagine having the confidence to think that you can break into the US Capitol with Molotov cocktails, take a selfie on the Senate floor, leave a threatening note for the Speaker of the House, force every member of Congress to be evacuated and not expect to get arrested or shot. Can you imagine that kind of confidence? Because black people can't. They're not even confident that they can survive walking home with a bag of Skittles. We can't ignore the racial implications of this event. They're undeniable at this point. In June of this year, we saw Capitol Police respond to Black Lives Matter protesters with tear gas and rubber bullets. And that was just so the president could get a photo op at St. John's Episcopal Church. This was a law enforcement failure. And that failure surrendered our Capitol and abandoned our police. President Trump tweeted about this event multiple times in December. We knew it was coming. We should have been prepared. This failure left Capitol Police officers overwhelmed and outnumbered. Over 50 officers were injured and hundreds of rioters escaped without charge because our officers were too overrun to charge them. I've seen some footage on social media talking about how police officers were escorting them out or how they were being too nice to the rioters. And while I understand that can be upsetting to see, especially in light of the BLM protests over the summer, I'm not sure that they honestly had much of a choice. They were so radically outnumbered that it could have just made things worse and it could have have made things more violent. I don't wanna weigh into that further because in truth, I am not a law enforcement expert. And I think that it's dangerous when people speak on behalf of law enforcement about things that they truly don't know much about. What I will say is if you put a frog in boiling water, it'll jump out. But if you put it in cold water and heat it up slowly, it'll sit there and boil. Democracy dies the same way. Right now, America is boiling. It has been widely reported that Mike Pence had to step in and deploy the National Guard because Trump wouldn't do it. If this reporting is accurate, that's a damning condemnation of a U.S. president. I'm going to post that reporting in the show notes for this episode, and since it's such a serious allegation, I encourage you to read through the reporting and sift through the evidence yourself instead of just taking my word for it. I won't speak to that issue any further, but what I will speak to is what we know President Trump was doing during the riots. A spokesperson for Republican Senator Mike Lee confirmed that President Trump called him on his personal cell phone at approximately 2 p.m. Eastern time, which is about 30 minutes after things started hitting the fan at the U.S. Capitol. So President Trump calls him actually by mistake. He's looking for Senator Tommy Tuberville from Alabama. And since all of the senators are together, Senator Mike Lee goes and gets Tuberville and puts him on the phone. At that point, President Trump tries to convince Tuberville that he should object to the election results and delay certification. They only talk for about 10 minutes before the call gets cut off and senators have to be moved to a safer location. Because, obviously, there is a riot going on. Then at 7 p.m. in what feels like a Saturday Night Live skit, but is unfortunately real life, the president's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, calls Senator Mike Lee. Again, for some reason, he is looking for Senator Tuberville, but by mistake calls Mike Lee. Now, Senator Mike Lee doesn't answer the phone because unlike some people, he is doing his job. It's still like 7 p.m. that same day. Luckily, We all know what he said because Rudy Giuliani left a voicemail and the audio leaked to the dispatch. I'm going to play that for you now.
1: Or I should say, Coach Duberville, this is Rudy Giuliani, President's lawyer. I'm calling you because I want to discuss with you how they're trying to rush this hearing and how we need you, our Republican friends, to try to just slow it down so we can can get these legislatures to get more information to you. And uh, I know they're reconvening they're re- uh, at 8 tonight. But, the, but it, 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 the only strategy we can follow is to object to numerous states and raise issues so that we get ourselves into tomorrow, ideally until the end of tomorrow. I know McConnell is doing everything he can to rush it he wants to try to get it down to 3 only three states that we can test. Well, there, are, there are 10 states that we can test, not three. So if, if you could object to every state, and along with a congressman, get a hearing for every state, I know we would delay you a lot, but it would give us the opportunity to get the legislators who are very, very close to pulling their votes, particularly after what McConnell did today, It angered them because they have written letters asking that you guys adjourn and send them back the questionable ones and they'll fix them up.
0: All of this paints a pretty clear picture of President Trump's priorities. As a riot is going on, he is actively trying to undermine the election results. But I bet most of you aren't even that shocked by that. Trump, like an abusive spouse, has conditioned us to accept his behavior. He has become so outrageous, so extreme, that it has forced us to move the goalposts for what is acceptable. It's like when you come out swinging with racist stuff that we could never imagine hearing from the US president, we start to become okay or even happy with just little bits of racism because at least it's not as bad as before, you know? When he took office, a lot of people were outraged. We have a more active citizenry than we've had in decades. But truthfully, a lot of us just got tired of being angry at every single thing. So we got used to being disappointed. We got used to being embarrassed by what he says and we stopped caring about the tweets. He sends out an average of 30 tweets a day. If you get mad at every single one, you're gonna have a pretty shitty day. Every day. And then there were the never-Trumpers, Republicans that came out and said, no, that guy sucks. That is not our guy. That does not represent conservative values. He doesn't speak for us. Unfortunately, they got smaller and smaller as his presidency went on because they didn't find support. It was lonely. Your friends, your family, your loved ones, you were isolated from them, but then you didn't agree with the Democrats either, so you just end up homeless. And it's hard to stay there. So you start accepting his behavior little by little, and then here we are. I'm going to play a clip for you. And when you listen to this clip, I encourage you to take the president at his word. Regardless of your feelings for the man, listen to what he says and imagine that every word of it is 100% true. This
2: is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. If you count the legal votes, I easily win. If you count the illegal votes, they can try to steal the election from us. They want to take not me, but us down. And we can never let them do that. The answer to the Democrat fraud is not to stay at home. It was a rigged election. You look at the different states, the election was totally rigged. Democrat officials in the key swing states illegally violated their own state laws in order to enable, encourage, and facilitate fraud on a scale never before seen in the history of our country. If you don't fight to save your country with everything you have, you're not gonna have a country left. We must stop this deal, and then we must ensure that such outrageous election fraud never happens again, can never be allowed to happen again. But we're going forward, we'll take care of going forward. If you don't fight like hell, you're not gonna have a country anymore.
0: Scary, isn't it? If you believe him, if you believe in him, rhetoric like this is terrifying because you trust him. 75 million people voted for this man. He commands the trust of 75 million Americans. His actions matter. His tweets matter. His words matter. Speaking of words, I would like to play his words for you twice more. First, I want you to hear what he said to his supporters moments before they stormed the Capitol.
2: Now it is up to Congress to confront this egregious assault on our democracy. And after this, we're going to walk down and I'll be there with you.
0: He wasn't. He wasn't there with them. Maybe in spirit, but he was definitely hiding.
2: Here we're going to walk down to the Capitol and we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. And we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong.
0: That is the President of the United States encouraging a mob of his supporters to march down to the Capitol and pressure members of Congress to object to the election results. Results, by the way, that he knows are legitimate. He has filed 57 legal challenges as of December 10th, and no court has been able to find a single instance of voter fraud. Rudy Giuliani, the president's attorney, when questioned by a federal district judge, even admitted this is not a fraud case. Yet still, he moves to undermine the election. I think that we all know why. Even when he sent out a video asking his supporters to go home, He couldn't even finish the video without getting out claims of voter fraud. Trump must be impeached. He must be removed from office. I don't care if there are only five minutes left in his term. He must be removed. Why? Because actions must have consequences. If the actions at the Capitol pass with a slap on their wrist, it will only embolden those who wish to do our country harm. If he is not impeached, he will leave office with zero consequences for his behavior and he will be free to do worse in 2024. Not to mention the impact that that would have on his supporters. It is absolutely inexcusable that Twitter and Facebook have done more to hold the president accountable than the United States Congress. And to my Republican listeners, if you have any love for your party, I implore you, please call your representative and push them to impeach. One thing I am certain of is that the Republican Party will not survive Trump if it does not act swiftly. The burden falls on Republican leaders even more because Trump is a monster of their making. Which brings us to the GOP. The GOP bears a lot of blame for the last week's events, and before I go further, I want to clarify. I don't mean ideologically conservative people, or even people that vote Republican. I mean the Republican Party. Leaders within the Republican Party have routinely placed the success of their party and themselves above the prosperity of our country, the rule of law, and the voice of the people. They have routinely obstructed the government, blocked legislation, attacked science, raised the debt after preaching the gospel of fiscal conservatism. They've broken norms, they've spread lies and misinformation. They courted populism and fostered rage and grievance within their supporters. They stoked anti-government sentiment and exploited it for personal gain. They villainized Democrats so much that anytime they actually did compromise, Their base felt betrayed. Just look at the data. In the 2016 Republican primary, 60 to 70% of voters opted for an outside candidate, with insiders and party leaders earning less than 20% of their support. The rage and grievance they stirred up in their base became something they could no longer control. It is Frankenstein's monster. I considered pulling this critique about the Republican party because I was worried that it would call into question the moderate nature of the show. I thought that going at one party over the other would make it appear I wasn't speaking from the middle, or that I wasn't representing a moderate point of view. But that didn't sit well with me. I'm telling you this because it is the truth. Sugarcoating it doesn't help anyone. I remain as ideologically centrist as I've ever been, but I refuse to pull punches as to not offend the far right. If you're listening to this podcast, you're trusting me to some degree to inform you. I take that responsibility seriously, which is why this critique is so important. I won't pander just to get more listeners. I will tell you the truth because that is what you deserve. Many GOP lawmakers do not offer their constituents the same courtesy. Congressional Republicans have continued to undermine the election by peddling conspiracy theories and claims of voter fraud. Claims that have no evidence to support them, as we discussed earlier. After rioters invaded the Capitol, literally that night, 147 Republican lawmakers still opted to object to the election results, knowing full well that their vote was only symbolic, since they didn't have the votes to change anything. Kelly Loeffler only withdrew her objection to the election after she lost the runoff in Georgia. And while I appreciate that at the last minute she did tell the truth, it paints a very clear picture of her motivations. I want to pay particular attention to Senator Josh Hawley and Senator Ted Cruz. Together, they represent what many have called the future of the Republican Party and the heir to Trump's base. Both of them made a concerted and public effort to undermine the election results. At the height of the violence, after senators had been evacuated, Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley's campaigns both sent out fundraising texts and emails to their supporters, championing their work to undermine the election. Let me read one to you. Ted Cruz here. I'm leading the fight to reject electors from key states unless there is an emergency audit of the election results. He includes a fundraising link. It's worth noting he's not even up for re-election until 2024. While he was fundraising, Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick was being beaten to death with a fire extinguisher. And another officer screamed for help as he was crushed against a door by the mob. Former Republican Senator Bob Corker put it plainly, everyone can see through them and look, understand that they're running for president. They think that they're going to get a pass and that they can be popular with the base and there's no harm done. There was harm done, end quote. It matters. All of this matters. Their actions matter. The more that they go along with this, the more their supporters go along with it. Because they trust them. It's one of the things that frustrates me the most is that as much as we talk about you can't trust a politician or you can't trust the government, people do. We do. We place our trust in members of Congress. And when they peddle conspiracy theories and undermine democracy, they betray that trust. Before the election in November, 35% of Republicans thought that the election would not be free and fair. 35%. After the election, that number shot up to 70 percent. It's not hard to see why. You've heard it from leaders in the Republican Party, Trump and his allies have repeatedly made baseless allegations of fraud. They incited this violence, and on Wednesday it came home to roost. Which brings us to the poison at the heart of American democracy, polarization. As our nation grows more secular, the American people all too often have traded religion for party affiliation. Instead of belonging to a church, we belong to a party. We've made our party our identity. And when you do that, you make the cost of defeat unbearable, compromise, inconceivable, and weak. We've become so polarized that we don't even wanna confront the truth. And that goes for either side. There were real reasons to be concerned about Joe Biden as a presidential candidate, but people on the left didn't want to confront that. They didn't want to talk about it. And moreover, they dismissed any critique of Joe Biden, his family, his policies, his record as a right-wing talking point. And then on the right, they would rather believe conspiracy theorists, their crazy uncle on Facebook, people on Reddit or worse, 4chan, 8chan, They would rather believe news coming from those people than the press. Why? Because the press is telling them that they're wrong. That they were wrong to believe in this guy. Or they were wrong about who they thought he was. Or that some of the things going on in our country are racist. And if you didn't think that, you're wrong. And that's hard. It's hard to be confronted with data that goes against everything that you believe. That doesn't mean that they're bad people. That's challenging for anyone. Like if you handed me evidence that basically said Reese Witherspoon, sweet, precious Reese Witherspoon, who's as American as apple pie, was a sexual predator, I would have a really difficult time accepting that. I wouldn't want to accept that. I would try to rationalize it. I'd probably make excuses for her. I'd talk about her incredible performance in Walk the Line, or how gosh darn cute she is, all the work she does for women. I would try to explain it away, but eventually I would accept it because I'm not her, I don't know her. I think she's an absolute delight, but there are no negative consequences to me accepting that truth about her. But when it comes to politics, it's not the same because of polarization. We've become more and more isolated from other points of view, further insulated within our own ideology. And the more that we retreat, the worse it gets. All of a sudden, every news source that you consume, every person that you talk to, they're all saying the same thing. My Reese Witherspoon example was easy because she's very far removed from me. There's no real consequences for me, if that's true. Plus, she's America's sweetheart and would never ever do those things. But let's take the right as an example. If they were to accept all of these things that the media accuses Trump of doing to be true, if they believe them, then it means not only are they wrong, but their husband or their wife is wrong, their sister is wrong, their brother is wrong, their friends are wrong, their mom is wrong. Everybody that they know and respect I mean, even the people that you see on TV, they're supposed to be telling you the facts, the news. All of those people must be wrong. And that's scary. It's destabilizing. You'd have to start over. Or, go at it alone. And that's really hard. And honestly, most people would rather have it easy. It is easy to consume information and just believe it to be true. It's likewise easy to consume information and believe it to be a lie. What is hard is discerning for yourself what is true and what is false. Especially when we've become so polarized that there's nobody around you to help you. That it would actually put you in opposition to everybody that you love. Consider this. Think about all of the things that you believe in. Things like reproductive freedom. Pro-choice, pro-life gay marriage, um, gender expression, religious freedom, guns rights, the death penalty, um, what role the government should play in society, free speech, environmental issues, um, businesses, healthcare, who gets what? And from who? How much should we pay in taxes? All of those beliefs have to line up with one of two parties. In the 70s and 80s, you had some more, you had more options, right? So you could be a liberal Republican or a conservative Democrat, and you wouldn't be alone. Or you could just be Jim from down the street, and your identity was not defined by your political party. But what's happened is that we take all of the things that we believe in, and we project them onto one of two parties. And we start to line everything up behind that. Like, what type of, what news do you read? You can tell if you're a Republican or Democrat. What food do you eat, Republican or Democrat? It's become so stupid that it's like, Democrats care about teachers, Republicans don't. Republicans care about the military, Democrats don't. None of that is true. Like, who's out here trying to take things away from teachers and the military? Nobody really wants that, but we are forced to choose. So it's not, do you want to take things away from teachers? Do you want to take things away from soldiers, it becomes, do you want to take things away from teachers or soldiers? And your choice puts you in one of two parties. So all of a sudden, everything that you believe in is associated with this one party. So if that party loses power, what does that mean? It means that everybody that voted for him was rejected. What they believed in was rejected. Their vision for America was not the one that we chose to go with as a majority. That stings. It didn't used to sting as much because this used to be one of many choices that you would make. But now, in a lot of ways, it's the only one. It decides everything about you. So you're either a winner or a loser. And nobody wants to be a loser. So what happens is that the things we do to keep power keep escalating. We get crazier and crazier. And then we get crazy on the other side to match it. And the cycle continues. And then you're watching the news and you find out that insurrectionists have stormed the Capitol. It really is that simple. And also that complicated. The role of moderates is more important now than it has ever been. You see, moderates are the enemy of extremists. And as they attempt to destroy our democracy, it will be up to us to beat them back. The middle ground must be defended, not by force, but by work, by outworking them, by showing them a better way. Extremism cannot be met with more extremism. So long as the right and the left are the only two sides fighting, we all lose. It's time for the center to get in the game. It's time to fight harder for the middle than they can fight for the left or right. We have the numbers. There are more people that believe in a moderate ideology than either of the extremes. The moderate vision for America is in sync with the American people. We are a moderate nation, yet you're hard pressed to find moderate members of Congress. We need to defend the center and build a middle ground so safe that people from both sides can come back to it. Democracy is not a certainty or some God given right. It's something that we work for. It's something that we earn. We've surrendered too much ground to extremists. We've allowed them to steal into our homes and infect our fellow Americans. They've broken apart our families. They've taken our friends. We've allowed them to degrade the press and inflate QAnon until both are equal. We've allowed them to replace debate with hate and make compromise cowardice. The goal is no longer to solve problems, it's to make them so that the other side can't get anything past. They've done all of this because we've let them. Moderates have become disengaged or we've radicalized. Because the middle can be a pretty lonely place. It makes you an enemy of both sides. But there's strength in numbers. We need to start rewarding politicians that actually get shit done not applauding grandstanding and a failure to compromise. We need to make pragmatism sexy. And we need to make sure that extremists are not rewarded. And that QAnon supporters are not elected to the US Congress, that happened. Not once, but multiple times. It's time to get in the game and get people that think like you in the game too. It's time to go to bat for things like truth, and decency, and democracy. America has always prided itself on being above regime change or political collapse, but we're not. Rome was the greatest power of the ancient world, and it fell. The United States is no different. I know it sounds cheesy to say that united we stand and divided we fall, but that's the truth. This is the truth. If we continue to let polarization divide us, this nation will fall. Last week we saw the beginning, and it's up to us to decide if that's also the end. As far as this show is concerned, we're going to spend the next year looking at every possible avenue for combating extremism and polarization. We're going to do everything we can to get people excited about actually solving problems. We're going to make bipartisanship sexy. We're going to fight for our democracy by fighting the things that ail it. We're going to seek to understand people that disagree with us, vet ideas, vet policy, talk about the news, and figure out what we should be doing and making sure that we do it. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, guys, but I know that we just have to try. I'm Hillary Lombard, and this is Moderate Party.